Glad you guys are here. Thank you guys for leading worship. I, just, I appreciate when you guys lead. I love the different flavor. I love the just how God moves. I love the choice of songs today. I was just that first song, God of the Ages. And just I always I always think of scripture. I tend to think in the big picture. You know, and I, I think I think that's a way to love God and a way to appreciate who he is. Um, some people are really enamored with God in the small things he does. And I think that proves his love. I'm fascinated with the big picture and how from beginning to end, God had a plan and does this. He's the same and he had a plan. and It's all, you know, it's all part of his plan. It's amazing to me how from the beginning, God uh, was pointing to Jesus. He told, uh, he told Adam and Eve and the devil. He said, the woman, what is the scripture? The woman will strike your heel and, or you will strike her heel and she will step on your neck or something like that. Meaning it's a prophecy. I, I'm misquoting it. I should probably read it. But it's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but basically that was the first prophecy of Christ because Christ was going to step on the neck of the enemy and destroy his plans. And then all the prophets, what are they doing? They're looking to Jesus, prophesying where he's going to be born, what he's going to do, how he's going to die, of all this stuff. That, and they say that the, the odds of those prophecies coming true are in the billions or trillions of coming to pass. The odds. And then when we get to Jesus and go to time past Christ's time, what are we doing? We're constantly pointing back to Jesus. All of earth, somebody called it Project Earth, points to Christ. Everything before points to Christ. God took a whole nation of people from one man, Abraham, and then took his grandsons, kids, great-grandkids, who had made their 12 sons, took them to a new nation, made them slaves so they grew in like wildfire, and became this isolated nation, and then brought them out in a picture of redemption, all pointing to Christ. And then brought them to their own land through a series of many, many events. And then all the prophets and everything lead up to Christ. And then he appoints these 12 apostles who lived with him and walked with him. And then they wrote the scripture. And now we hold on to scripture and everything points back to Christ. And then the very end, it's all about Christ. He comes back and every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess, whether we want to or not. The great for us, and terrible, for those who don't know him, day of the Lord. That just brings, brings me awe, and I worship God in that, in the fact that he knew it all. And we live our little lives, and he still knows every detail. I'll never forget, and this is, this, people, you know, you can interpret this story everyone, but it's a stupid little story. Uh, we were driving out to Malibu once to go camping, years ago. Uh, our older son was like five. And, uh, we stopped in a gas station. I think I had done the bungee cords wrong or something, and the, 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 all the stuff on the roof kind of got wonky, and we had to pull over, we got gas. And, uh, and then we started talking to this truck driver of a large truck, and he goes, he goes, hey, hang on a second, I want to give you something. And he gave us a stupid little jack-in-the-box antenna topper, okay? And we're like, cool, thanks, you know. And uh, we got on the freeway, and literally like 100 yards in front of us, there was a big accident. And, I, and we were both like, 
Babe, if that guy hadn't given us that antenna ball, we would have been like right there. You know, theoretically, I can't prove that. But it was just too close for comfort. Like that one little thing, you know, I don't know why we even talked to the guy. And we were ready to leave. He goes, oh, hang on. And it was another 10 seconds, 30 seconds, I don't know. But God's in the little things too. You know, and I think that's how, one of the ways he proves his love to us is that he knows us intimately. In fact, I think he's building a home in heaven that we're really going to like because he knows us really well. And he, we're going to be like, wow, God, I knew what heaven was going to be like. That's what I dreamed about, and you knew it, you know? And that's just God's, God's good like that. But all the things that he did. So my question to you today is, is God at the forefront of everything that you are? Because of all he's done in the big picture, is he at the forefront of our mind and our heart all the time? And are you growing in that? Or are you in the same place you were two years or five years ago? You know? Another thing in, the, in the, just the bigness of God, at the very beginning, Jesus, uh, no, Satan, I shouldn't get those two confused. <laughs> that's, that's bad. Um, God says, tells Cain, or Cain, sin crouches at your door. You must master it. So sin crouches. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus says, behold, in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. And I just look at the dichotomy of those two things. One of the large things of Scripture. That sin crouches and desires to own you. Jesus, like a gentleman, knocks and waits to be invited in. That's an amazing thing. Because if anybody could force us, like Travis says all the time, we're not made to be automatons. Right? God gave us free choice. Jesus knocks and he waits. And he respects our choices. I think that's an amazing thing about God. If I was God, I might do it a little differently. He, but he gave us that choice. He doesn't want us to be... We, it's not love if, if, we're, if we're forced to do it. That's, that either makes you, like Travis always says in the Tomaton, or a slave. Nobody likes slavery. It doesn't make any sense. God, if God really wanted people, and people always ask, why is there so much evil? I can't worship a God who is so much evil, allows so much evil. God gave us a choice, and he really does respect our choice. And he respects your and my choice to live our life according to his ways or not. You know, we've made mistakes, my wife and I made mistakes that take years to, to pay off or whatever, to recover from. Man, if we would have just done, if I would have trusted God when things were really tight financially, I think we'd be in a different place today. But instead, we made this decision and that decision, panicking and, you know. But if we would have trusted Him at those times, I think we'd be in a different place. You know, I'm not, I don't live in regret but I try to learn. And Lord, I'm going to trust you today. And I'm a better person, I believe, for it. But I don't want to do it again. I don't want to make those same mistakes. Because the God of the Bible, the truth we were talking about earlier, is always true. His truths of generosity, that truth of you reap what you sow, you know, if you're constantly an angry, bitter person, that's what you're going to get back. You know? And I heard somebody say, you wonder why you have bad neighbors. 
You don't love your neighbors, you love yourself, and then you wonder why you have bad neighbors. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. But God is gracious. That's one thing I love about Him. And He gives us life as we live. That's amazing to me, that He would be giving us constantly. He doesn't just save us and then say, hey, good luck. You know? That there is seasons of our life where it seems like God's not there. And that's for our benefit too. I, I, I visualize it like when I was teaching my kids to walk. And I would back up. One, because it's cute. But two, you want them to succeed. And I believe God does that. He's, he's always with us. I was never not with my kids as I'm backing up. Come on. Come on, you can do it. And then I'll move out of the way and let them go to the couch or whatever. Doesn't mean I'm not there. Doesn't mean I don't love them. It means I want them to grow. And God's like that. That's where we get it from. From our Heavenly Father. It's in our DNA. But we, when we're in a season of, of wilderness, and you know, you ever been that season? You just feel like you, you look around, kind of metaphorically, and there's just like a dry bush over there, and you turn over here, and there's none, just sand. <laughs> that just feels like the season you're in. But God's there. He's just, he's just backed up, and He wants to see where you are. Because all of life is a test. If I can speak philosophically for a moment, don't we see that in every character in the Bible? Doesn't God test everyone? How does he do that? He says, here's your situation, whatever it is, financial, health, family difficulties, da-da-da-da, the list goes on and on. And then he doesn't step back in the sense of, oh, ha-ha, look at you, good luck. But he says, will you trust me in all that this says and all that you already know and walk it out. And yes, I will be with you. My spirit lives inside of you. But we forget that. We keep our eyes on the waves and we start to sink. But let me encourage you today. Just keep your eyes on him. It sounds so easy. I know that. Trust me, we've, we've been through some crap. And that's life. But it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change the fact that he says to those who overcome. God, in all that he is, he is a great teacher. He's a great, he's the father. He's got all the father-like characteristics of every good father you could think of. You could pick ten great fathers and God's all of those things. But he's also, and this could be taken wrong, <laughs> I believe God's a bit of a, a sportsman. He's an athlete. And he likes the challenge. You know, you ever think about that? Not that God's playing games with us. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Because that could easily be misinterpreted. But you look in scripture. The analogy of athletics is throughout. And I, I, we were praying earlier. Who, who, who would ever take thousands against tens of thousands and then whittle the thousands down to 300. And then say, now go surround the enemy. That makes no sense. 
But that's who God is, because God is pretty confident in who He is. And He knows that it's really not about the 300, it could be three. You know, when you have a God who can create a sound, He did this more than once, He can create the sound of a rushing army in the tops of the trees, so that the other army gets so panicked, trained warriors get so panicked, that they flee in all in every direction. That that is amazing to me. I'm like God. I would love to see that in real life. I wish I could have been there for that. You know, if I could have been a little bit outside and I knew the sound was coming, I hear the sound of the the rushing wind and the war, the horses' hooves and all that stuff. And then I see this army, this entire army. And when armies are together, they're pretty confident, you know? I mean, they're all their buddies are around and they all got their swords and spears or guns. And we use an analogy of the day. And, but then they just, they're so scared that they just flee, throwing their stuff off and just run. You ever been that scared of a dog or something? And you just, you just freak out and run. Can you imagine? God can do that. That's the God we serve. We just have to remember, we just have to remember that when our bank account, and I've been here countless times, I can't even tell you. Michelle and I have been married 301 months. I counted, I did the math. Got on my calculator because I'm not very good. 302 months now, it's August, July, August. No, it's 301 months. That's a lot of months that I've looked at my bank statement and, oh, that doesn't add up. Am I going to write that tithe check? You know what? And I've never had a month where my kids didn't have food and we didn't pay rent. Had a lot of months where I didn't have the food I wanted <laughs> or the car I wanted, but all our needs have always been met. And you know what? God's given us things along the way that were like, wow. You know? I, we didn't deserve that. We didn't even ask for that. But we have everything we need. And it's just, God's amazing like that. We just have to remember. And be a people who overcome. We serve a God, I love it. We serve a God who is constantly thinking about us. And he's constantly keeping the number of our hairs counted. Because it changes all the time. I hear you lose 100 hairs a day. It's a lot. But he's got it numbered. <laughs> and I know because I clean the drain in the shower. <laughs> There's a lot of hair in there. God's good. And the same God who defeated those armies is with us facing our giants. I didn't plan on talking about much of this stuff today. But it's it's amazing. Uh, the story of David, I was thinking this, about this again this week. David was so much more a man at 17 because he didn't just go out in boldness to face Goliath. He was actually, he stared down two entire nations in that battle because his whole camp was afraid and fear is a very powerful thing. Just walk in the store today. And he had to face down his entire army of fear. And say, I'll do it. 
the own, his own king. He had to pass his brothers. That's intimidation. His seven, what, seven brothers? And he was like, I'll do it. I, I defeated a bear. I defeated a lion. But then he had to go face the Philistines. It wasn't just Goliath he was facing. Because there was still the chance, even if he killed Goliath, who's to say the Philistines would have been honoring the, the, the deal? You know? Your warrior beats my, or my champion beats your champion, and then our army serves your army. What if the Philistines are liars? And he defeats Goliath. Then the army rushes down the hill and kills him, and then comes and takes all the Israelites. He didn't know that. But he, he defeated, in essence, two armies that day. That's amazing to me. Do we stand when somebody comes against us, against, or in opposition, and says, oh, you believe that stuff about Jesus? Jesus is just a crutch. He's not even real. You know? What are you, a Mormon? Do we stand and just say, yeah, God, you're real. Even if everyone deserts me, still I will follow. Because he's that good. And the salvation that we said yes to is the same. In fact, it gets better. It gets better as you go along. The longer you walk with Christ, the more I have found God is just so good. He's so good. He's worth following. And he's worth dying to all the stuff of the world. You know, when he asks us to give up things, and not that we have to go through life giving up stuff just because we feel religious. You know, oh, it makes me feel so good to give up, you know, something, whatever. That's not, that's not what God asks us to do. But if he does, if he puts something on our hearts, it's a pleasure. Because we know there's one freedom that comes with it. And he's probably doing it for a good reason. Because down the road, having carrying that with me, whether it's baggage in the sense we always think of baggage, or just something that we don't need right now, or won't need then, it's a pleasure to give it up. And he's worth it. He's worth it. He gave so much for us. He gave so much for us. That scripture, uh, what is it, Romans 3, all have sinned. Is that it, Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He, he takes all, now talking about burdens in the real sense of the burden. He takes all of our burdens, all that sin, all that desire for self-promotion and greed and lust and jealousy and pride. Oh, pride. Man, that's a burden. You know? Trying to always defend yourself and trying to always be on top and trying to always be first and trying to be right all the time. It's a burden. Christ lifts that. I was talking to David the other day in the gym just about how it's so freeing to not care how people, you know, I used to really, really care about how people thought of me. And most of us did as, as teenagers or kids or whatever. Um, but to, as you get older, you're like, nobody cares anyway. <laughs> Really? So why should I care what they think when they're not really thinking about me anyway? That's freeing. But how much more the burden of sin that Jesus came to set us free from? He broke the power of sin. We don't have to walk in sin any longer. And we can stand in His victory 
Because he took all the sin. You know, people ask, well, why do we sin still? Well, we still have, we're still human and we still slip up and I could get into that whole thing, but I'm not going to. But his victory. Man, we should wake up every day and be, just be so full of thanks. Read, go, go, go on Bible Gateway or whatever thing you use online or go to your concordance if, if you still use a, a hard Bible and look up all the times it says give thanks. And, and I, somebody gave a teaching years ago, I remember, they said teachings, or, uh, they, Thanksgiving is very intentional. It's not just when you feel like it, because you'll probably not feel like it very often. Maybe if you get into a worship setting and oh, the music's really good and whatever, <laughs> you know, but I'd rather, I like getting myself to that place. And I admit I should probably do it more, but when you sit and you start meditating, on how good God is and all the things he's done and how powerful he is and just, you know, what he's done for you personally and getting yourself and then just being like, wow, God, thank you. Thank you. When was the last time? Okay, forgive me, but when was the last time you gave thanks for your feet? I feel silly saying it. But we can walk. God thought of feet. Nobody had feet before God made them. And they work. And then your hands, the thumb. Man, they used to cut off the thumbs of the enemy when they defeated an army. Why? Because it's so useful. I love my thumbs. God gave me thumbs. Thank you. You ever think about a breath and all the processes that happen and the way air goes into your lungs? God thought of lungs and he thought of air and he provided enough for billions of people. And it regenerates. That's genius. I love that about God. Thank you, Lord. And that's just the physical. Let's, let's get into the spiritual aspect of stuff. Where would you be without Christ? I've been reading that, that book, and I, I've alluded to it before, and I probably will again. It has really impacted me. One, because it's very scriptural. It's called Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And he talks about people who had NDEs, near-death experiences. And they talk about, and people have studied it, non-Christian scientists and, uh, people, and uh, professors and whatnot have studied people who died and had those near-death experiences where they go to heaven or hell, because some go to either place, and the experiences that they share have a lot in common around the world, in Western world, in India, in uh, the Middle East, everywhere. They have very, very common... Now, he, the book is very clear, and the guy does a great job of saying that he's not taking what they say as truth to supplant Scripture, He's taking it as truth or experiences what they claim. And I like that he uses that word because they're claiming something. But the fact that so many people, millions, millions upon millions, they go with what Scripture says. It goes right along the light that they see just like Daniel saw and uh, John saw. And they didn't have near-death experiences. But why would God give so many people these near-death experiences to then come and share about it? And we're not talking about crazy fringe people. 
We're talking about professors, doctors, all, all professionals who would, who would risk their reputation by sharing these stories. But the things that they say, and I recommend the book, it, gets you, it truly gets you thinking about heaven. But the things they talk about are phenomenal. The city of God, the new, people have seen the new Jerusalem. And some people share the new Jerusalem, they're, they're like near the city, and it's a city, just like it describes in Revelation, with walls 1,400 miles long, enormous. And out of the city is just radiating light. There's no sun. It's just light, and it's phenomenal. But they, talk, they also describe the paradise of God, which God, Jesus told the, um, the thief on the cross, today will be with me in paradise. The paradise of God is around the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And they say it's just the most beautiful um, nature, foresty, vibrant meadows and flowers. They say light comes up out of the flowers and the grass is perfectly green. There's not one dead blade of grass. And they say there's colors in heaven. And I could go on and on. Read the book if you want to. But the thing I like is nothing is outside of Scripture that they say. But they also describe people going to hell. They describe one person had a, and they, they, he didn't go into hell. He was like on the outskirts or something. And he said the, the, the people that were there, they like mobbed him and were just vile. And they, would, they were punching and kicking. And they, one thing they've all described, all of them, they say your, your senses are way heightened. You feel everything. Which goes along right with this, the parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. Which I don't believe was a parable. Um, that the rich man said he had all this stuff in life. Lazarus got the scraps from his table. And then the rich man goes to hell. And Lazarus goes to heaven and sits by Abraham. And the poor man says, hey. Or the rich man in hell says, hey, please give me a drop of water to cool my tongue. Because... They feel everything. I just, need, I just need a drop of water. And, and Abraham says, we can't. There's, there's a huge chasm here. We can't cross. And the, just, just the imagery there, it, it's phenomenal. And do, do, we sit and, do we sit and meditate on that stuff? Do you sit and meditate on your calling. What have you called me to, Lord? And I'm not specifically talking about being in ministry. I'm talking about your ministry in your sphere. Who are you? You know, I know you guys have some, a, a group of people you're meeting with. That is your ministry. At your work. You know, I know David connects with people online and has shared the gospel with people. That's your sphere and using, being used where you can. When I can, I talk to my lessons. People that, that I teach music to, I ask, I can think of two guys who were just like, no. <laughs> One guy, I literally said, do you ever think about Jesus? And he raised his voice and changed his tone and said, no. Okay. We kept going with piano lessons for a long time. <laughs> but I never brought it up again. Because <laughs> you know what? It's his choice. He doesn't even want to hear it. Okay. You know? Another guy, we, he was a complete heathen. Came out of a total 60s boy. He's as old as my parents now. 
And we had a number of conversations. And he would laugh. And you mean like Jesus like that Santa Claus in the sky? They're like, well, no. <laughs> but we had a number of conversations. And he was not open, but at least willing to talk about it. Okay, great. And other people are a little more open. And, you know, you give them what you can. And let the Holy Spirit do the work. But all the things that I'm talking about today, and I've, I know I've jumped around a bit, but God is in all of it. And we grow as we keep our eyes on Him and think about who He is and what He's done and worship Him and just meditate on Him and become more like Him. And I'll, excuse me, allow Him to do His work in us. Because it's good. It's a good work. I believe God... Somebody said, and this took me a while to figure out, but God loves the process. It's a... You know, my wife does those little woodworking things. and I enjoy woodworking. But if we, if we only love the finished product, we'd only buy it at the store. But we enjoy the process. We enjoy the process of, let's just use woodworking. I love lowering the saw blade and pushing it through the wood. I love watching the wood cut so cleanly. I, love, I think it's really fun. I like sanding. I love my Dremel too. You know what a Dremel is? Like a dentist drill. You know, and you, car, you can carve out little things and... I love that. It feels good. I love watching the wood change form. That's the process. God loves doing that with us. He loves taking off the stuff and seeing us add new stuff into our life. But we forget that. I do. And I'm just like, why, God? I feel like I'm on a surgery table. My heart's all open why, God, are you doing this to me? God, you're not a God of love. Can you imagine if my board said that as I was cutting it? You're not a rob of love. But we do it to God all the time. We, the human race, do it to God all the time. Silly humans. He loves the process. He likes working on us. Because he's not only a sportsman, he's the master craftsman. But he's not working with dead boards. He's working with living tissue and living souls who have a choice to get off the surgeon's table or to get off the saw table and get mad at him for sanding us. But it hurts. The wood probably doesn't like being sanded and scraped with 80 grit sandpaper. But God loves doing things. God loves doing that. And we, the wood and the clay, need to remember that He's doing a good work in us. And He's making us into something that is so beautiful. I wasn't, gosh, I wasn't planning on talking about any of this. There's a story, uh, again, this guy, Graham Cook. I'll try to make it short. It's kind of a long story, but it has to do with the process. And he, he was saying that in, 
he's British, so when he lived in England, this is a former uh, fighting rugby player before he got saved. Now he's a grandpa and probably in his latter years of life. But he tells a story of he was starting a prophetic school. Probably, I'm guessing, in the 80s or 90s. And he said when nobody was doing stuff like that. Now you can go to churches everywhere and they're doing schools of worship and prophecy schools and you know schools of intercession and all kinds of stuff. Well, he was doing this and nobody was doing it and there was... So he started the first school and he said these three guys took it upon themselves to come to the meetings to stand against him. And they, so they'd have us say a school is going to be on September 1st. Two months prior, the, the, um, the, these three guys would go around to all the other churches and say, hey, this guy's doing a prophetic school. Don't send your people. Don't go. Don't sign up. And then these three guys, he, they, Graham Cook and his staff would call them the Three Stooges. So they would go to this, um, they'd go to the other churches and say, don't come. Then they would sign up for the prophetic school and sit in the front row like this and with their pencils and taking notes. And then they'd write a newsletter about how bad he is and then don't go to this thing and da-da-da-da. And they'd stand outside with placards, he called them placards with signs, uh, with his picture on it saying, this guy's bad. And, you know. and he did a number of these over the course of a couple of years. And... Every time they had one, it grew. More people would come. And God would just say, keep setting out more chairs, you know, as they prayed and this and that. So long story short, these guys are coming and the, the thing's going great. He's, you know, a lot of people are being changed and seeing how God moves prophetically and all that kind of stuff. And these guys are getting, I guess, more and more angry. Well, one night, uh, after a couple years, this guy, Graham, has this dream. And he's, he'd said he'd have, a, God would give him a number of dreams where he's like sitting on the on God's throne on the arm next to God but like sitting on the arm you know with his shoulder or arm on God's shoulder and they're just like chatting you know like father grandfather or kid and grandfather kind of thing and uh, so God leans over to Graham this is all in this dream and God says to Graham you want to see something says, yeah I'd love to so he whispers over and they wheel in this huge slab of marble and he's like wow that's beautiful He's all, and then he says to Jesus, come in and do your thing. So Jesus carves out an image, and Graham Cook's like, wow, that's really beautiful. And I'm trying to abridge this whole story. And then he says, you want to see how it's going to be made? He goes, yeah. So in comes this three pairs of hands, just hands, and they start going, da 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 And uh, God says, you know, if you encourage them, they'll do better. So it's like, go, you know, go. So all this frantic activity is happening, and then it's done. And he's like, he looks at it, and he says he starts crying. Wow, God, that's beautiful. I love it. What is it? And God tells Graham, that's you. That's you. That's what I see you as in your future. And all the things that are happening in your life are to make you into that. And then God says to Graham, would you like to thank the hands that helped make this thing? He goes, yeah, thanks. And in walked those three stooges from his prophetic schools who were in complete opposition to his doing these things. And the way he tells the story, he wakes up and he shouts. Ah! And he wakes up his wife and she gets scared. But he says instantly he knew why those three guys were in opposition to him. 
because they were forcing him to be right in Scripture and trusting God. They were his Goliath. They were his Haman or whoever it was that is in opposition to you, to them. And they are what make us into the people we're becoming. It's the opposition. It's the sandpaper of life that makes us into who we are. And God uses people to do that usually. People and circumstances. I just think, wow, what a, what a cool picture. Funny too, you know, obviously in retrospect for him. But it's those people that teach us how to love and how to be gracious. It's those people that just rub us the wrong way. And it's those situations of family problems and health issues and money, financial difficulties, and just all the stuff of life that make us more gracious. Because how can you be patient unless you've encountered impatient people? There's no way to, there's no way to prove that you're patient or show. You know, and I hope most of us have become, let's use patience, have become more patient. That, you know, when we were young, I know when I was young, I was quick to judge and quick to be impatient. You shouldn't be this. And at least in my heart, I would think those things. And now, at least more, I think I can see, well, maybe they're just having a bad day. Or maybe their family's in real turmoil right now and they're just, they're on their last nerve anyway. Now this situation happens, am I gonna be impatient with them? And maybe they need a little bit of love. Maybe I'm the one to bring it. But if I'm being impatient, man. And I believe that our judgment in heaven is gonna be us looking, God looking back and saying, what about that situation? That puts the fear of God in my heart. Because we are going to be judged. And one thing those NDE people say is God gives many, many, many of them have had a life review where God takes you through your entire life and you have to give an account. That's, man... I've said a lot of unnice things in my life, truly, that I regret. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why? If I could only go back. That's just words. Forget the actions and other stuff. But we need to live with that fear of God in our heart. And, and I, I believe part of that is it, it, it'll... It'll stir up love because we know how much God loves people. I mean, even talking about it, I'm just like broken. It's just, there's so many hurting people. And, and they're and angry people. But you know why I believe they're angry, partially? It's because they're hurting. And they've been hurt. And life sucks. And think of all the songs that talk about it. Just life being difficult and pain. And, and some people, maybe they are just jerks. But you know what? God loves them too. But chances are, there's a reason they're a jerk. And can we show them compassion? And can we be that light? There's a story of, of a guy I saw. Did I see a documentary or read about it? I don't even remember. 
But it was during the time of the KKK, and this black dude went to join the KKK. And he, he just, you know, talked to them and became friends, and they liked the guy. It was like never an issue. And I'm like, wow. People just want, they want to be loved. And in that love, hopefully we can share Christ with them. But they just, they need, they need that. And maybe you and I are the ones to give it to them. And I think we should live that way. It's hard. It's hard to live that way because we have our own turmoil surrounding us. But there's a lot more pain and suffering. And even amongst the wealthy, I, I go into a lot of, I mean, I live, I make my living off of wealthy people because poor people can't afford private music lessons. So, but I, I see a lot of, I mean, even, even, was it, it was Thursday. I was in a house and um, we were doing a lesson in like an upstairs loft. And, you know, the boys, he's like 13 playing piano. And I hear the neighbors arguing. And it sounded like the mom yelling at the kid. And it went on for 15 minutes. And I was just like, ugh. You know, when he would stop playing for a moment, I'd try to listen and try not to listen at the same time, if that's possible. But I was just like, wow. She must be miserable. I know the kid is miserable. I couldn't, I couldn't make out any words except for a couple. But I was just like, oh God, please help them. Protect the kid, heal the mom, and assume it was the mom. I don't know. I've, I've only ever seen the people there once or twice as I park to walk in the house, into the neighbor's house. But man, there's a lot of stuff out there that we get to be the light to. May we be light. May we be chiseled enough and humble enough and loving enough to bring the gospel to them. Never with judgment, never with condemnation of any kind. The truth, we can't water the truth down. But hopefully we can say it in such a way and have a bridge that they'll receive it. But that's on them. You know, Jesus didn't chase down the rich young ruler. We all know that. But Jesus still kept going to people constantly and bringing healing. So, Father, whatever you're doing today, whatever, whatever you're working in our hearts to make us more like you, to make us more like Christ, God, we ask you for more help. Like that guy said in Scripture, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. We need your help. We need your grace. We need more of you, God. And we know that your, your word says you pour out the Spirit without limitation. God, but we have limitations on how we receive. Whether it's sin or a lack of desire or a lack of seeking. God, we want more. We want to seek you more. And we want to be that light. We want to be the healing that people need. And we want to be that, that smile that people need. God, even when they 
treat us badly. Sometimes that might even be a sign that you're working because their heart might be open and exposed at the moment. And then, and then we walk across their life and they, they snap at us or something. But it's only because you're already working. We just don't know. We just don't know. God, I, I'm still learning what that scripture says, to be gentle as doves, yet shrewd as, as serpents. I know part of that is we're always to be loving and kind, but we're also not to be, I'm not even sure. Maybe that part of that verse means knowing, have the shrewdness to know who to talk to and when. I need discernment. So we ask you, God, for discernment. Like your word says, cry aloud for wisdom. We need your wisdom, God. We need your wisdom how to, how to navigate our own selves and other people. To love God and to love other people. So God, we just acknowledge our weakness, we acknowledge our deficit, but we also know that you're at work and you don't need the tens of thousands. You intentionally whittled that army down and you're intentionally whittling us down to the, to the bare necessities. And we let, we let you do that. We humble ourselves before the, under the mighty hand of God that you might lift us up. We honor you today, God. May we just walk in obedience and in love to you regardless of what that means. May your grace lift us up. God, we trust in your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're always with us. And I uh, just pray your blessing on uh, those who are not here today, Travis and Jill as they travel and others who are not feeling well or working and this and that. Just pour out your grace. And uh, we do pray for this community that you put us in and our sphere of influence. Help us to love people and to be, a pe to be people ourselves who just walk in thankfulness to our God and that, other, that that will be a light that radiates out into this world, Father. We just thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Let's go be a light.